Welcome to the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. These sacred sites are not dead. Maybe they're dormant like the seeds and they're coming back to life and it's bringing our children back to life. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. We stand at the threshold of a historic opportunity in the human experiment to reimagine how to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. It's a revolution from the heart of nature and the human heart. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we celebrate social and scientific innovators with breakthrough solutions for restoring people and planet, creating a future environment of hope. Support for The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature is provided in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation and by the generous support of listeners like you. A new vision is emerging, but we have to look back. Despite centuries of sustained oppression against our collective existence as Indigenous people, we continue to represent over 5,000 languages, cultures worldwide. Indigenous people have retained our traditions and our distinct cultures, economic, and political structures. And through centuries of oppression, colonization, and attempted assimilation, our people have survived and persevered. <laughs> However, we still struggle for the recognition of our humanity and our rights as Indigenous people. As Indigenous rights and climate action leader Ariel Deranger observes, Survival is its own testament. Despite centuries of genocide, colonization, and the systematic destruction of their cultures, indigenous peoples today are experiencing a renaissance. There is a widespread intergenerational cultural renewal reinvented for 21st century realities. At the same time, there's dramatically rising political action to secure lands, human rights, treaty rights, and the sovereignty that supposedly is theirs in the first place the stakes could hardly be higher. These ongoing struggles by First Peoples could well decide the fate of the Earth. Native peoples are the guardians of lands that are a key strategic source for the future of energy, both dirty and clean. Indigenous lands hold as much as 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity. And in many places, First Peoples still carry invaluable traditional knowledge the world badly needs today. In this half hour, we visit with three courageous and visionary Indigenous leaders working at the growing edges of this renaissance. This is A Path Home, restoring Native lands and traditional ecological knowledge with Athabascan political activist Ariel Deranger, Amamutsan tribal chairman Valentin Lopez, and Chimawavi culture bearer Kara Romero. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Iglanete, Ariotza Ekwe Hushiat Etsin, Nejan Chidie Cochin Dene Sutlene Hot Isin, Masicho, 
My name is Ariel Tsaekwe Derange, and I'm from the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation, the Kai Tale Dene Sutlane, the people of the willow, a reference to the delta where my people have lived since time immemorial. Ariel Derange works tirelessly to defend her Athabascan people's right to survive, as well as the rights of all First Peoples. As a leader in the Idle No More movement, she helps direct the Tar Sands campaign to protect Earth's climate and the fragile ecosystems and wildlife habitat of Canada's famed northern boreal forests, which face annihilation by this monster fossil fuel development. It also happens to be her home. Ariel Deranger spoke at a Bioneers conference. My people's rights and culture are in the crosshairs of the largest giga project on Earth, the tar sands. The legacy of this project is one of contamination and out of control pollution that puts us all at risk. It consists of toxic lakes that cover 240 square kilometers and seeping contaminants into the river systems that my people rely on. It creates as much greenhouse gas emissions as all of the vehicles in Canada combined. And if left unchecked, it could double, if not triple. It's out of control. Canada's Alberta tar sands region is among the planet's three largest carbon pools. Scientists agree this dirtiest type of oil absolutely must stay in the ground. Ariel Deranger's people's ancestral lands are just downstream. She had decided to move her family back home after many years away. Then her friends warned her, things aren't the same anymore. And then I started Googling it, and my heart broke. And then I went there, and I felt like not just my history had been erased, but my children's future had been erased. And that's when I was like, it's not going to go all the way through my territory. My children need to know what the sound of birch trees in the wind are like, what the sound of the rivers are like, what the air smells like, what it, the fish tastes like. And I want my children to be nurtured to understand their identity, and those are the things that drive me forward. And it's not just my kids, it's the kids that live in those communities. In the, my community of Fort Chippewan, there was a kid that told his dad, when he put food on the table, he would say, is that from the grocery store? Did you hunt that? And his dad said to him, why, son? And he was seven years old, and he said, because I don't want to eat the wild fish because I don't want to get cancer and die. What kind of reality is that for our children? That doesn't just rob him of that fish, that robs him of his future and his identity as an Indigenous person. That is what we are fighting for. Fighting to protect her ancestral land comes naturally to Ariel Deranger. Her parents were members of the American Indian Movement in the 1960s and 70s. She accompanied them in protests and sit-ins. They taught her about the treaties between her community and the Canadian government to protect their land and rights, treaties that have been systematically violated. The Tar Sands Project proved to be a tipping point, igniting a global movement. Arising initially as a mass movement of Canadian First Nations communities, Idle No More morphed at lightning speed into a worldwide network of over 700 chapters of diverse activists across Canada and the U.S. The purpose? To protect Indigenous lands and rights and keep the oil in the ground. We've all become Idle No More. The whole idea behind that name is that our people had signed these treaty agreements in Canada 
And we believed that they would be upheld because we upheld our part of the bargain, which was to let them share our land with us and live in peace with us and not have the American Indian Wars that were happening here in the United States. You know, our elders told us over and over again, they will live up to this agreement <laughs> for a really long time. And, and when people did rise up, they were oppressed with the heaviest hand possible. Past systems were put in place in Canada that oppressed our people where we couldn't leave our reserve lands in a time of drought. There was no food on our communities. People were starving and dying and they couldn't even go out to hunt. And there were all sorts of tactics that were imposed by the government to oppress us and basically annihilate us. Genocidal tactics through policy in Canada is what they did. And so for many, many years, our people became afraid to speak up against the colonizers. They rounded up the children of the indigenous populations and they put them into schools, boarding schools away from their families. And they tried to school the culture out of us. And so through that, there was a generation of a loss of culture and identity as indigenous peoples. We're like the first generations to not go through residential school. We're the generation finding who we are. And as a part of that finding who we are, it was like, wait a second, why are we not speaking up for our people and our rights? And these treaties that have been violated and breached, it's like, hey, let's not just sit here and hope that something's going to change. Let's be idle no more. Let's stand up and use our voices and empower our people to be proud of who we are. I remember growing up as a child being ashamed of being a Native person. And I have two children, my daughter's a teenager, and I remember going to the big round dance flash mobs in the West Edmonton Mall and being with her and just seeing the pride in all of these young children's faces to be proud of who they were as Native people, like taking over like the, one of the largest malls in the world and our drums ringing through the malls, that I knew that my children would grow up to be proud of who they were. As the communications manager for the Athabascan Chippewayan First Nation, Ariel Deranger works with diverse Indigenous and non-Indigenous allies, traveling the world, speaking, organizing, and sometimes litigating. In addition to our litigation, we are also doing a community-based monitoring program and a guardian program where we're training people from our community to be like rangers or police of our traditional territory. Our nation has defined what we call a protection zone where we want no industrial activity or poaching or any kind of development without our permission. And there are nations that are building their own energy sovereignty programs. That movement is sparking across all of North America and many nations are utilizing the frameworks of our rights as indigenous peoples and the sovereignty and control that we have over our lands and resources. So that's definitely something that's been happening. It hasn't been easy though. It seems like it should be a no-brainer on paper given that it's like written in laws, but States actually enacting or respecting laws historically, as in most cases, hasn't happened unless it's benefited those that are in power. So it's actually about trying to challenge the systems of power because without challenging those systems of power, laws are meaningless. When we return, Valentin Lopez and Cara Romero show how their tribes are recovering their knowledge, reclaiming their identities, and working with surprising allies. Plus more from Ariel Duranger. This is A Path Home, 
Restoring Native Lands and Traditional Ecological Knowledge. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. To explore all available Bioneers radio shows, podcasts, and video programming, and to hear more from Ariel Deranger and other guests in this show, please visit Bioneers.org. Our tribe is comprised of those descendants of those that were taken to Mission San Juan Batista near the Gilroy Hollister area and Mission Santa Cruz. Valentin Lopez is chairman of the Ama Mutsun Tribal Band in California. He spoke in the native-directed Indigenous Forum at a Bioneers conference. Our creation story takes place at Mount Amunam in Santa Cruz. There's a long story about the animals, how they came to us, plus the plants. But whenever the Creator made man, he made man and woman last. But he gave us the ability to think, to problem-solve, to figure things out. And he also gave us a responsibility to take care of all living things, the four-legged, the winged, the fin, the plants, etc. And uh, that was our responsibility. And so our ancestors took that responsibility very seriously. And then came the mission period, which was horrific on our people. We lost 50% of our population during the the, uh, mission period. That was followed by the uh, Mexican period and then the American period. An example of the Ohlone, we are an Ohlone tribe. In our area, there were 30,000 Ohlones at the start of the mission. At the close of the mission, there were less than 100. So that's just an incredible loss. In all honesty, we lost a lot of our indigenous knowledge for land stewardship, land management, knowledge of the animals, knowledge of the plants, etc. Despite their unimaginable losses, Indigenous peoples are reclaiming their identities and cultures with an eye on future generations. At the heart of everything is the land. To restore this essential relationship, Valentin Lopez and the Ohlone people are forming land trusts and partnerships with non-Native allies. In 2006, we were having a council meeting, and the elders came to us and they said, Creator... Our creation story tells us we're here to take care of all living things. And Creator has never rescinded our obligation. We need to find a way to get back on that path. And so we talked about it among council members and talked about it with elders. And we didn't really see a path, but we just believed and we prayed and we held ceremony. And five, six months later, we get a call from the superintendent of Pinnacles National Park. And uh, he had just transferred in. And at the park that he had just left from, they had a wonderful relationship with the Native Americans there. And he wanted to continue that at Pinnacles National Park. They had the huge stands of deer grass 
and white root sedge, which are very important for basketry material. They had big fields of native seeds like red maids, for example. That's a very important food plant for us. So we started going out there and working. And then our elders and our members uh, started going out there. It wasn't unusual to see on a weekend 75 of our members out there working to try and, and, and work with the lands and to relearn our traditions. From there, mushroomed other opportunity. We uh, started talking to state parks. They, they heard what we were doing, and state parks wanted to work with us. Stanford, Berkeley, UC Santa Cruz wanted to work with us. Other uh, land trusts wanted to work with us. And uh, we started pulling things together, started getting our youth involved as far as trying to find jobs of stewardship for them so that they can work and, and restore that relationship with Mother Earth. And uh, it's gone wonderful. In 2012, we developed our Amamutsan Land Trust. We don't own any land at this time. We, have, we hold an easement, and we have a um, 265-acre parcel that we have designated as a cultural preserve with state parks, and that allows us to co-manage it with state parks. Um, we do a lot of, of restoring our lands uh, from the, using the science, but also we talk to our tribal neighbors to the north, southeast to try and trade knowledge or to gain the knowledge they have. We feel that we found our path back. We have historic trauma where we have high rates of suicide and addictions and stuff like that. But we're finding that our time, getting back on the path of our ancestors is helping us address those kinds of needs. And so we think long-term there's going to be incredible benefits. The Amamutsan now have tending and gathering permits for over 100,000 acres. They're also working with the UC Santa Cruz Arboretum on a large 55-acre Amamutsan garden. At work and learn parties, people relearn traditional practices and then restore native plants in their traditional territories. They're ultimately aiming to re they're ultimately aiming to acquire land to resettle tribal members, and some surprising partners are showing up. Education is a critical component of our tribe. We do a lot of working with public to teach them our traditional native land stewardship ways because we want them to learn those ways because we feel that way of caring and stewarding is what's going to protect us and allow us to be sustained into the future. And so we do a lot of things like, say, for example, we have a great relationship with the Girl Scouts of America. How do you like that? <laughs> you know, we have State Cultural Preserve. We have near Año Nuevo. The Girl Scouts, they have two camps in the mountains up there, in Santa Cruz Mountains. And so we regularly go up there and talk to them about our traditions, our ways, our history. And they always show uh, put activities in there, how to make tule boats, how to make uh, abalone necklaces, and teach them traditional songs, and talk to them about the importance of relationship and uh, praying and talking and having ceremony with the plants. We do that with them. You know, we have lost a lot of our traditional tech, our traditional ecological knowledge of our land systems by design. I mean, we were almost totally erased. It's amazing uh, that against all odds, any of that stuff exists at all. Kara Romero is Chemawavy from the Mojave Desert in California and formerly served in the Tribal Council. A self-described culture bearer, she's director of the Bioneers Indigenous Knowledge Program and the annual Indigenous Forum. 
while it's embarrassing, it's also a great virtue to have humility, right? And part of our cultural work was humiliating. Learning from maybe non-natives or learning from our tribes adjacent, knowing that you would hear things like, that's not the way that Chimuevis do it, you know? But we would borrow from them anyways because ours were gone. And what's so wrong with that? They're really close to us and they're using the same traditional resources and maybe we have to adapt in order to be resilient. And maybe there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it strengthens our intertribal relations. You know, we've heard beautiful stories like the star navigators from the Pacific Islands that came not from the Hawaiians, right? You know, they borrow traditional knowledge from their adjacent islands and you know, it was like cutting a sapling from somewhere else and replanting an ancient orchard. You know, it all came back and it was all okay. Kara Romero says that tribes like hers face many other complex challenges resulting from land loss and the fragmentation of lands and jurisdictions. Most tribes have severely limited resources, yet they're managing small sovereign nations whose traditional territories can range over thousands of miles. The lands are usually an incoherent patchwork of public lands partly managed by the Federal Bureau of Land Management or the state. The BLM often requires the land also be made available as recreation areas for the public, which is highly problematic if you're protecting sacred sites, delicate ecosystems, and cultural heritage. For us down in the Mojave Desert, we have these encroaching off-road vehicles in San Bernardino County, and they really like like virgin territory. It's extreme, right? And Mojave Desert and Ancestral Chimuevi, Mojave, Serrano, Hualapai territories are like some of the most pristine biodiverse areas, and they're undeveloped. They have everything that we need to exist, and people think that because they don't see a lot of people per capita that nobody lives there. And there's this tiny microderm uh, on topsoil down in the Mojave Desert, and it's how the, the seeds lay dormant for like 20 years, but when we get a rain in Death Valley, these flowers that have never bloomed that maybe I've only seen once in my life or twice in my life, they come alive, right? There's so much symbolism there. When these ORVs go over the terrain, it's corrupted forever. This topsoil is like an eggshell on top of this like fine powdery dirt. And so when that topsoil is corrupted, not only are the, is that seed corrupted, then this glass right of sand that lacerates the lungs of not only humans, but our desert tortoise and all of our migratory animals are also corrupted through these off-road vehicles. Kara Romero is especially encouraged by one collaboration between her tribe and the Native American Land Conservancy. It's preserving the Old Woman Mountains, 2,500 acres in the Mojave Desert. For her and her people, it's deeply personal. And not only did they manage it, but they came and they meaningfully consulted with our tribe like the BLM didn't, and they said, hey, you guys are still around. Do you want to come camp out here? Do you guys want to gather out here? And what was once a really painful spot, because we'd go out there and we'd see like all of these ORV tracks and broken bottles where people had been partying with our petroglyphs, with patinaed caves and spring water that was coming up and wild tobacco, places that we hadn't been in a long time, 
they were like, come back to this place, do a demonstration with the kids. And this is as I was growing up and you know, as I was becoming a mother to my children, we'd go out to this sacred site, grinding mesquite beans and camping together off the reservation. And it was something that we didn't even do on our own reservation 25 miles away. And maybe it was the magic of the sacred site, right? That was bringing all of these things to life. It wasn't just about the sacred site, but maybe about this community experience that we're, we were having out there. They hired somebody to live there at the sacred site and like get the ORVs out. And they had put up signs designating all of our plants and wildlife. It was empowering us, our tribal identity. We were showing people that our sacred tortoise is out here. And then they fenced part of it off that really needed to be fenced off that people kept destroying. and. And so that to me is kind of the beauty of these land trusts and how I have experienced Old Woman Mountains down there in the Mojave Desert very differently from when I was a young girl going out there occasionally to very regularly, annually, seasonally. Our kids are camping out there. All of those things help our kids with historical traumas and addictions and, and all of these blood memories that have been really painful for the last hundred years that have been passed down. These sacred sites are not dead. Maybe they're dormant like the seeds and they're coming back to life and it's bringing our children back to life. Again, Ariel Deranger. We must nurture and support our children to be proud indigenous people who believe that anything is possible and that we are not bound by the status quo that involves the desecration of our rights, our values and our cultures and our indigeneity. We need to nurture our children to be people who will carry on our role as caretakers and stewards of the land and speak for those who cannot speak. Ariel Deranger, Valentin Lopez, and Cara Romero. A Path Home, Restoring Native Lands and Traditional Ecological Knowledge. see and hear more from Cara Romero and Ariel Deranger and explore more Bioneers radio programs, podcasts, and videos online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer and station relations, Stephanie Welch. Host and consulting producer, Neil Harvey. Program engineer, Emily Harris. Production assistants, Tina Rubio and Melanie Choi. Our theme music is co-written by the Baca Forest People of Cameroon and Baca Beyond from the album East to West. All royalties from Baca compositions and performances go to the Baca Forest People, through the charity Global Music Exchange. Find out more at globalmusicexchange.org. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at soundstrue.com. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers' Revolution from the Heart of Nature are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. <laughs> <laughs>
This is program number 1016. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley's pasture-raised organic dairy products, bringing the good from our family farmers to your table at organicvalley.coop. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, and by the generous support of listeners like you.